Wonderful. Okay, ladies, before we start, you know that gizmo that they were just talking about? Maybe you can see that it's turned off, please. That would be helpful. Um, I have a little story I want to tell you guys. It's called Walking on Water. A fellow by the name of Amonpreet heard a rumor that his father, grandfather, and great-grandfather had all walked on water on their 21st birthdays. So on his 21st birthday, Amonpreet and his good friend Brian headed out to the lake. If they did it, I can too, he insisted. So when Amonpreet and Brian arrived at the lake, they rented a boat and began paddling. When they got to the middle of the lake, Amonpreet stepped off the side of the boat and nearly drowned. Furious and somewhat ashamed, he and Brian headed for home. When Amonpreet arrived back at the family farm, he asked his, his grandmother for an explanation. Grandma, why can I not walk on water like my father and his father and his father before him? And the, the feeble old grandmother took Amonpreet by the hands, looked into his eyes and explained, that's because your father, grandfather, and great-grandfather were born in January. You were born in July, dear. <laughs> Yes, they were walking on frozen water. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> we're going to have to really keep an eye on you guys. <laughs> oh, welcome, ladies, to our second semester of women's Bible study, our wonderful Bible study. We wish you a blessed new year and pray this year will bring much joy and spiritual growth into your lives. This semester, we will continue our study of the Gospel of John. In short review, especially for newcomers, the Gospel was written by John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, around A.D. 85 to 90. He explains his purpose for writing the gospel in John 20, 31. But these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So John does not present a chronological narrative of the life of Christ. His purpose was to present his deity. John 1, 1 and 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 14:6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John introduces Jesus not from his birth, but from the beginning, before creation. 
Jesus as God himself was involved in every aspect of creation and later became flesh in order to take away our sins as the spotless lamb of God. That was John 1, 1 through 3 and 1, 29. God sent John the Baptist as a forerunner to Jesus. He was to bear witness to Jesus as Messiah and son of God. With his coming, the 400 years of silence where God, who gave no revelation between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, came to an end. John was Jesus' cousin. He was the first prophet called by God since Malachi some 400 years earlier. His coming was foretold over 700 years previously by another prophet. That'd be Isaiah 43 through 5 and Malachi 3.1. In chapter 1, John the Baptist baptizes Jesus and the Spirit descends upon him as a dove out of heaven and remained on him. This sign indicated to John that Jesus was the coming Messiah. John's gospel is unique in that he gives a lot of information not recorded in the other gospels. He also gives information that helps us understand more clearly events in the other Gospels. For instance, information on Jesus' prior ministry in Judea and Samaria. In Mark 6, 45, after the feeding of the 5,000, John records the reason. Jesus told them to cross the Sea of Galilee to Bethsaida, Jesus wanted to avoid the people who were about to make him king after he fed them miraculously. So while his disciples were rowing, he withdrew to the mountain by himself. That's 615. The gospel includes seven miracles or signs which demonstrate Jesus' deity and illustrates his ministry. Some found only in John, for instance, the raising of Lazarus. In John, we learn much about the approaching ministry of the Holy Spirit after Jesus' ascension. In the Old Testament, Exodus 3:14, God revealed his name to Moses. I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So in Judaism, I am is thoroughly understood as the name for God. Whenever Jesus made an I am statement in which he claimed attributes of deity, he was identifying himself as God. In the Gospel of John, Jesus makes seven statements beginning with the words I am. Each of these statements furthers our understanding of his ministry in the world. They also link him to the Old Testament revelation of God. I would suggest to newcomers or those wishing a comprehensive review to go to the Lakeside Community website, as Tina said, click on Resources, then Insightful Women Teaching. The first overview and first semester lectures are on that site. They're wonderful, and I wholeheartedly suggest you do that. Leaders will have a sheet to pass out in group next week with that information, and Tina's already told you about all that, and that's important. The last eight chapters of the gospel, 14 through 21, are those we will be studying this second semester. They deal with the final week of Jesus' life. As Jesus prepares his disciples for his coming death and for their ministry after his resurrection and ascension, 
His words comforting them are words that comfort us in times of sorrow. Chapter 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take courage, I have overcome the world. In chapter 17, just before Jesus enters the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples, Jesus prays for himself, for his disciples, and for all believers. It is Jesus' high priestly prayer. Very little is recorded of Jesus' uh, prayers to the Father, but this prayer gives insight into face-to-face communication between him and the Father, and is also a wonderful source of encouragement and comfort to us. The gospel now moves from Jesus' earthly ministry to his intercessory ministry for believers. Jesus' time had come. This gospel concludes with Jesus' arrest, trials, crucifixion, death, and resurrection, and his appearance to disciples and people he loved. John's teaching concerning the deity of Christ provide a clear revelation of who Jesus is, fully God, fully man, two distinct natures in one person. There is no dilution of either nature. He is one person united, and we thank him, and we worship him. The book of Amos. Amos 1.1 identifies the author of the book as the prophet Amos, likely written between 760 and 753 B.C., His name means burden or burden bearer. Amos was a contemporary of Jonah, Hosea, and Isaiah during the reign of Uzziah, king of Judah, the southern tribes, and Jeroboam, king of Israel, the northern tribes. He was a Judean shepherd and fruit picker from the village of Tekoa, and it is the only prophet to give his occupation before declaring his divine commission. He lacked education or a priestly background, but God called him anyway. A commentator said this about how God chooses his messengers. Sometimes we think we are a justa. We are just a salesman, a farmer, a housewife. Amos would be considered a justa. He wasn't a prophet or priest or the son of either. He was a justa, shepherd, a small businessman in Judah who would listen to him. But instead of making excuses, Amos obeyed and became God's powerful voice for change. God has used justice such as shepherds, carpenters, and fishermen all throughout the Bible. Whatever you are in this life, God can use you, everyone. Amos wasn't much. He was a justa, just a servant for God. It is good to be God's justa. His mission was primarily directed to the northern kingdom of Israel. Not since the days of Solomon had times been so good in Israel. It was a time of peace and prosperity. So his message of impending doom and captivity for the nation because of her sins was unpopular and it was unheeded. Beneath Israel's external prosperity and power, internally the nation was corrupt to the core. The sins for which Amos chastened the people are extensive. Neglect of God's word, idolatry, pagan worship, greed, corrupted leadership, and oppression of the poor. Amos first pronounces a judgment upon all the surrounding nations, then upon his own nation of Judah. And finally, the harshest judgment is given to the northern kingdom of Israel, 
divine judgment is near. Note, in 727 BC, the Assyrians conquered Naphtali and the Israelite tribes east of the Jordan River. The scattering of the Jewish people began. In 722, the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. The survivors of the ten tribes of Israel in the north were exiled. The book ends with God's covenant to not abandon Israel altogether, but will in the future restore her righteous remnant. That always touches my heart. Our God is faithful. The last verse, Amos 9.15 says, I will also plant them on their land and they will not again be rooted out from their land which I have given them, says the Lord your God. Praise God for his love, his mercy, and his faithfulness. He is faithful to Israel. He is faithful to us. The book of James. <clears throat> the book of James was written circa A.D. 44-49, before the first council of Jerusalem in AD 50, making it the earliest book in the New Testament, it was written by James, the oldest half-brother of Jesus. Mark 6.3 lists Jesus' half-brothers, well, his siblings. John 7.3-5 tells us that Jesus' brothers originally rejected him as Messiah. They did not become believers until after the resurrection, three years after Jesus' ministry began. Acts 1.14 lists James with those who went back to Jerusalem after the resurrection and stayed in the upper room. All with one mind, continually devoting themselves to prayer. 1 Corinthians 15.7 says that Jesus appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Galatians 2.9 calls James a pillar of the Jerusalem church along with Peter and John. According to the first century Jewish historian Josephus, James was also known as James the Just because of his devotion to righteousness. He was martyred circa AD 62. James directed his writing to Jewish Christians scattered among all the nations, most likely because of the stoning of Stephen and persecution under Herod Agrippa I. He refers to them as brethren 15 times. That name was common among first century Jews. In chapter 2, verse 2, the text uses the word assembly, which means synagogue. There are 53 Old Testament references. The book is very Jewish in content. The question was, if Gentiles don't have to keep the law, and they don't, then how does this affect Jews who were raised by the law? The Jews were so ingrained in the Mosaic law and its system of works that without a legal code, does their Christian faith affect how they live? Now free to do as they please, does it matter how they live? Under authority of Christ, James says, yes, our faith applies to everything in life. The book has been called the Proverbs of the New Testament. James' teaching complements Paul's teaching on faith in Galatians 2.16. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, 
James emphasizes that good works flow from those who are filled with the Spirit. Good works are the fruit of the Spirit, not the cause of salvation, but a result of salvation. Paul's teaching, Paul is teaching justification before God, but James is teaching justification before men. He questions whether someone may or may not have a saving faith if the fruits of the Spirit cannot be seen. He basically challenges Christians to walk the walk, not talk the talk. He puts to rest the idea that one can become a Christian and yet continue living in sin, exhibiting no fruit of righteousness in their lives. James describes... James describes the overall traits of the faith walk. He discusses social justice and discourse on faith and action. He compares and contrasts the difference between worldly and godly wisdom and asks us to turn away from evil and draw close to God. It is a practical book with not much doctrine. He focuses on the truths of Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount and motivates us to act upon what Jesus taught. There are more than 26, 20 allusions, excuse me, there are more than 20 allusions to the Sermon on the Mount in the book of James. I'm so looking forward to, to getting into that book and studying that book. It just sounds so wonderful. Let's pray. Dear precious Father, indeed, Lord, we just pray for each and every one of us, Father, that we would indeed walk the walk and not just talk the talk, Lord. And I just... Thank you for each and every lady here, Father, and I just thank you so much that you provided this ministry to, to us so that we may study your word and learn your word, Father, and learn more about you and learn more about our obedience, Father, and what it is, you, how you want us to obey and what it is you want us to obey, Father. I just pray that each and every one of us will pursue that and desire to, to do that, to obey and to live our lives in such a manner that would be glorifying to you, Father, that would exhibit your glory, Father. May we learn much. May we be faithful, each and every one of us, Lord. And we just thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, ladies, we've got your lessons here in the back. Make sure you get